Acts uh, chapter 22, verse 25. Would you stand with me as we read God's word? As they stretched him out to flog him, Paul said to the centurion standing there, Is it legal for you to flog a Roman citizen who hasn't even been found guilty? When the centurion heard this, he went to the commander and reported it. What are you going to do? He asked. This man is a Roman citizen. The commander went to Paul and asked, Tell me, are you a Roman citizen? Yes, I am, he answered. Then the commander said, I had to pay a big price for my citizenship. But I was born a citizen, Paul replied. Those who were about to question him withdrew immediately. The commander himself was alarmed when he realized that he had put Paul, a Roman citizen, in chains. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this passage and and that amazing moment in history. I pray that you would give us a heart for your purpose, plan, and your will in this nation. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Today's message is entitled, What to Remember on the Fourth of July. Tomorrow is the Fourth of July, so... This is my 4th of July message, what to remember on the 4th of July. Now we are not here to talk about politics, but we are as believers in Christ here to share the word of God and see what the word of God has to say for us as people and as citizens of this great nation. And it is a great nation in light of all of its flaws. And I wanna encourage you, and this is not part of the sermon, this is just a free extra thing. I encourage you, not to give in to uh, this mindset that we have in our country. There is a huge group of people that hate their own country. They hate it. They despise it. The country that has been so good to them, that has provided so much for them in their life, and they despise it because they don't get their way all the time. I encourage you not to be a part of that. I see that sentiment all over the place from both sides. This this. This disdain and distrust of their own nation. Okay, all right, back. (laughs) I will admit this is an interesting country. I recently read this. Only in America can pizza get to your house faster than an ambulance. (laughs) Only in America are there handicapped parking places in front of a skating rink. Only in America do drugstores make the sick people walk all the way into the back to get their prescriptions. Only in America do people order double cheeseburgers, large fries, and a Diet Coke. Only in America do we leave cars worth tens of thousands of dollars in the driveway so we can fill our garages with junk. A father was talking to his rather rebellious son one day and he said, Every person who lives in the United States is a privileged person. The boy answered, I disagree. And the father replied, that's the privilege. I want you to remember today three important things to remember on the 4th of July. Three simple things, three important things to remember on July the 4th tomorrow. Number one, on July the 4th, remember citizenship matters. Citizenship matters. In our passage for today, Paul had returned to Jerusalem in Acts chapter 22, and he was 
in the temple courts. Now, he had been warned multiple times by the Holy Spirit that there was going to be trouble when he went back to Jerusalem. So he already knew ahead of time. Spoiler alert, Paul already knew. It wasn't a mystery to him. It wasn't a surprise to him. He was expecting it. He was in the temple courts, minding his own business, doing what he was supposed to do. When some people from outside of Jerusalem came and spotted him and recognized him. See, Paul had been preaching the gospel of Christ throughout the, the kingdom and <clears throat> all over the place. And he, in some cities, ended up stirring up a lot of trouble because the name of Jesus is very powerful. And so they saw him in the temple courts and they went to the leaders, the Sadducees and the Pharisees, and they said, that's the guy. He's been proclaiming this resurrection of Jesus everywhere and stirring up trouble for Jews everywhere. And a riot started in the temple courts. People, the Bible says, people came running from everywhere. They didn't even know what was going on. They just knew something was happening. And so they're pouring in there by the thousands. It was so bad they had to close the doors to the temple courts. And you know, they, they did that in times of war. But, but here is a riot caused by Paul. And so they grab him and they just start beating him. And in a few minutes, they would have beaten him to death. They were so filled with hatred and anger toward Paul. Somebody, most of them didn't even know. Some of them did know him. They remembered him as a Pharisee. Well, the, the Romans found out and the Romans are in charge in, in first century Israel and and they send a, a group of soldiers in there. They don't even know who Paul is. They don't know anything about him. They just know everybody wants to kill this guy. So they went to, they just assumed he was another Jew and they went to grab him and pull him out of there uh, to find out what was going on. <clears throat> they do. They had to lift him up on their heads to get him out of there. And as they get to the wall, Paul turns to one of the Romans and he speaks to him in Greek. Now, most Jews didn't speak Greek, Paul did, because he was a Roman citizen. <clears throat> and he says to the soldier, <clears throat> can, I, can, I, can I talk to you? Can I ask you a question? And he said it in Greek, and so the, the Roman soldier was surprised by that and immediately said, you speak Greek? And Paul used that uh, to say, can I, can I address the people? The, the soldier was so stunned, he said, okay, you can, which is shocking in and of itself. So Paul is speaking to a, a mob of people by the thousands who, who want him dead. Now, he, he's got power in the spirit right there. <laughs> you know, I, I'm assuming that most of you don't want me dead. So it's a little easier for me to preach to you here. That was a hostile crowd. So he starts to speak to the crowd in Aramaic because that was the common language in Israel of the day. And when they heard him speaking Aramaic, the Bible says they all got really quiet. And Paul then takes that moment to share with them his testimony. He says, you know, I used to be like you, a faithful Jew. I was a Pharisee of Pharisees. I heard about this, this Christian sect and uh, I was, was determined to persecute and prosecute the followers of this way. And and I got letters uh, that authorized me to go and prosecute them and, and was there when Stephen was martyred. And he said, I was on my way to Damascus one day when I was blinded by a bright light and it was Jesus. And I, he said, why are you 
persecuting me. And I said, who are you? And he told me who he was. It blinded me for three days. And he talked about the miracle of him receiving his sight again. And immediately he began to preach about the resurrection of Jesus. It was a very powerful message. And he said, from then I began to share the good news. And they were, they were okay with that, apparently, until he said this. The Jews didn't listen to me. So God led me to go to the Gentiles. Now, there were only two kinds of people in the world for Jews of the first century. There were Jews and there was everybody else. They called them Gentiles. Anybody who's not a Jew is a Gentile. And there are good people and there are bad people. Jews are good people. Everybody else are bad people. And so when Paul said, I didn't get any response or didn't, wasn't received by the Jews, God led me to go preach to the Gentiles. As soon as he said the word Gentiles, they just went crazy. They wanted him dead. I mean, they were going at it. And so the, the soldiers, they get him out of there and take him to the big boss, who was the commander of all the centurions. And the commander says to the centurion, take him down there and, or take him into the courtyard, uh, a, a separate courtyard, tie him up, stretch him out, and whip him, uh, scourge him, and then we will question him, which was an interesting strategy. Don't ask him any question until you've beat him nearly to death. That was, that was the plan. Because he didn't care, he thought he was just a Jew, and Romans didn't care about Jews. So he goes, as you saw in the passage, uh, they, they go down, stretch him out uh, to whip him, and as he's being stretched out, he just turns to the centurion that's standing there and says, hey, no doubt speaking in Greek, hey, is it lawful? Of course, he knows it's against the law. He says, is it lawful to beat a Roman citizen before a trial, without a trial? And when the centurion heard that he was a Roman citizen, that really startled him. So he stopped everything. He went to the big commander, the big boss, and said, hey, this guy says he's a Roman citizen. So the commander was startled. He went down to talk to Paul personally. And he said, is it true? Are you a Roman citizen? And Paul says to him, yes, I am. And the commander happened to say, well, I, I haven't always been a Roman citizen myself. I had to pay for my citizenship and pay a high price. Paul said, I was born a Roman citizen. And when he heard that, that ended everything. All the accusers left immediately and that was the end of that for that day and so we see just in the word that he says that I'm a citizen that it saved his life saved him from a beating now he had beatings other days but he didn't have beatings that day citizenship matters and just as Paul's citizenship mattered your citizenship matters also now it's true in our country we enjoy certain privileges uh, throughout the world in countries who don't even like us that very much, that much, will allow us into their country when they see that blue American passport, because that means money for them and for their economy. And so they let us in. We are able to go into more countries than most nations can. But that's not the citizenship that I'm talking about. Philippians chapter 3, verse 20, far more importantly, Paul says this to the church in Philippi and to you and I, he says, but our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control 
will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Paul talks about citizenship here, citizenship in heaven, and citizenship that is eternal. And so he's giving them the game plan for eternity here and what's going to happen after we die. We're going to receive our glorified body. We're going to be with Christ and and our body will be uh, uh, similar to the body of Christ, a glorified body. So he's talking about that citizenship. Now, Paul is a Roman citizen. Notice he doesn't mention that here. I'm proud to be an American. And not just because it's a song. I am proud to be an American. I am proud to be an American. My citizenship is important and it is relevant to me. It's a part of my identity here in this world. But it's not the one that matters. It is insignificant compared to my citizenship in heaven. Because you know, because of that citizenship in heaven, a couple of billion years from now, when you and I are talking, we won't even remember there was an America. I love my country, but that's not what will get us into heaven. That's not what will give us victory over death. That's not what will free us from our sins. That's not what will give us hope and purpose in life. It is our citizenship in heaven. Citizenship matters. Did you know that in New York City, they actually have a law where they have by law decreed that non-citizens can vote for local politicians? Did you know that? Hundreds of thousands of non-citizens, they're not legal citizens, are allowed to vote for the mayor of New York City and for local um, officials until last Monday. Six days ago, a state judge said no. (laughs) He says, basically, I'm paraphrasing, of course you can't vote in any U.S. election unless you're a citizen. Our Constitution's probably pretty clear about that. Now, the logic is obvious. If you're not a citizen but you have the same rights as a citizen, why become a citizen? If you get to go to heaven, whether you believe in God or not, whether you submit to Jesus or not, then what's the point of being a Christian? In order to be a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, there is something that has to happen in your life. There has to be a surrender of your heart to Jesus Christ and his lordship in your life and a belief in faith that he died for your sins and was resurrected in three days. That's where our citizenship comes from, from his mercy and through our faith. Number two, on July the 4th, remember, freedom is found only in Christ. Tomorrow, on July the 4th, remember that freedom is found only in Christ. Now, as we celebrate the 4th of July every year, I think freedom is the word, is it not? It's the key word. It's the, it's the catalyst. It's what we identify with more than anything is in America. We have freedom and not oppression. But Paul telling the Galatians uh, in chapter 5, verse 1 of Galatians this he says for listen to what he says it is for freedom that christ has set us free now that sounds redundant does it not we'll get to that in a second but he says as a result stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery he says you've been set free don't become a slave again 
That makes sense, doesn't it? If you're free, why would you want to be a slave again? Now he's talking about being a slave to the Old Testament code of the law. The law shackled them. All the law did was expose the fact that they were lost. And they would try a works-based salvation. They would do this and this and this and this. They make one mistake and they couldn't be saved. And of course, since they all made mistakes, they couldn't be saved. It was just like slavery. And he said, you've been freed. Why would you want to go back to that kind of slavery? But in saying that, he begins with this statement. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. That's an interesting statement, is it? Why, why would he say that? It sounds really redundant. Why would he say it is for freedom? What else would it be for? Why would Christ set us free? Um, did you know that there would be nations in the ancient world that would conquer cities? They would go and wipe out the enemy. And those cities that they wiped out would have slaves. And so they would free those slaves from their oppressive masters, and then do what? They would enslave them themselves and take them back to their country and oppress them. <laughs> they would free them, not, free them not for the purpose of freedom, but for the purpose of making them their own slaves. So he says that interesting statement, it's for freedom that Christ has set us free. There's no trick here. In the Old Testament, I was looking up freedom throughout the Bible, and in the Old Testament, there's this time where God confronts his own people. Uh, he, and he talks about slavery. And he says that there was a problem in the nation of Israel because they were not obeying the law. And here was the law. They had slaves in Israel in the Old Testament. Did you know that? Not, not the whole time, but a good deal of the time. And, and usually or often those slaves weren't foreigners. They were fellow Jews. And the reason is, if you and I have a credit card, for example, or you, you have a car loan, and you can't pay your car loan, or you can't pay your credit card, they come and repossess your car, or you declare bankruptcy, or whatever you do. Back then, if you couldn't pay your loan, you could sell yourself into slavery. Did you know that? Yeah, you could sell yourself. And so a lot of their slaves or most of their slaves were people who sold themselves into slavery to pay off a debt. Or kids, close your ears. Parents, you can, you can sell your kids in slavery. But, but in Israel, they had a rule, they had a law, and it was God's law that every seventh year, all slaves had to be free. So that there was no slave in Israel that was a slave more than seven years in a row. Now, if the slave, once he's freed, if he wanted to go back into debt again and sell himself into, into slavery, he could do that again. But that was his choice. They couldn't keep them as slaves. But here's what was happening. After seven years, they would do the official freedom ceremony and they would say to their slaves, okay, you're free. And then the next day they would go out and capture them and by force take them back to their house and make them slaves again. So God came along and he said, I don't remember what verse it is in the Old Testament. I just came across it and I was fascinated by it. And then God said this. He said, I tell you what, because you've done that, I'm going to free you from your existence. I'm going to kill you. <laughs> and so he says, I'm going to free you from life, basically. But that's not what he says in the New Testament. That's not what he says here. And Paul wants to make it clear. It is for freedom 
that Christ has set us free. We are free indeed through Christ. Now, our founding fathers understood this. Not all of them. And there are people who will say that our founding fathers were not Christians. Some of them were not Christians. Some of them were not believers. But many, if not most of them, were devout believers in Christ. Don't let this secular world lie to you and deceive you into thinking history isn't really history and they just make up their own history. The truth is our founding fathers, most of them were faithful believers in Christ. Let me give you a few examples. These are some of the 56 signers of the Declaration of Independence. I'm not, I, I'm not gonna give you quotes from all of them, but let me just give you quotes from a few of them. Richard Bassett, for example, one of the signers of the Declaration of Independence said, quote, Every person who shall be chosen a member of either house, that is Congress or a senator, or appointed to any office or place of trust shall make and subscribe the following declaration. Here was the oath that they had to take in order to be a member of Congress or a senator. Here it is. <clears throat> I, and a blank for their name, do profess faith in God the Father and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, and in the Holy Ghost, one God, blessed forevermore. And I do acknowledge the Holy Scriptures of the Old and New Testament to be given by divine inspiration, end quote. How about that? I like all of our members of Congress and all of our senators and all of our presidents to have to decide that. I like that. William Blount, another person who signed the Declaration of Independence, said this, no person who denies the being of God or a future state of rewards, that's heaven, or punishments, that's hell, shall hold any office in the civil department of this state. Jacob Broom, another signer, said when he was writing to his son, he said, don't forget to be a Christian. I have said much to you on this head, and I hope an indelible impression is made. John Dickinson, another signer, said, To my creator I resign myself, humbly confiding in his goodness and in his mercy through Jesus Christ for the events of eternity. Benjamin Franklin said, I have lived, sir, a long time, and the longer I live, the more convincing proofs I see of this truth. God governs the affairs of men. Nathaniel Gorham, another signer, said, I believe the Christian religion and have a firm persuasion of its truth. Alexander Hamilton said, for my own part, I sincerely esteem it a system which without the finger of God never could have been suggested and agreed upon by such a diversity of interests. William Samuel Johnson said, remember too that you are the redeemed of the Lord, that you are bought with a price even the inestimable price of the precious blood of the Son of God. William Livingston, another signer, said, I believe the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments without any foreign comments or human explanations. I believe that he who fears God and works righteousness will be accepted of him. James Madison said, the belief in, in a God, all-powerful, wise, and good, is essential to the moral order of the world and to the happiness of man. Roger Sherman, another signer, said, I believe that there is one, only one living and true God, existing in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. The same in substance, equal in power and glory, and the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments are a revelation from God and a complete rule to direct us 
how we may glorify and enjoy him. George Washington said, Almighty and eternal Lord God, the great creator of heaven and earth and the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, look down from heaven in pity and compassion on me, thy servant. In fact, John Jay, the very first chief justice of the Supreme Court, and often called the father of the Supreme Court, said one of the primary writers also of our Constitution who wrote this, he said, quote, it is the duty of our Christian nation to select and prefer Christians for their rulers. That was the founder and the father of the Supreme Court that said that. Don't let anybody ever tell you that God's influence was not in the creation of this nation. His providence is here. His hand has always been here. And if he removes his hand, we will be no different than any other and no greater. They all knew freedom is only found in Christ. Ronald Reagan, the 40th president of the United States, said this, America needs God more than God needs America. If we ever forget that we are one nation under God, then we will be a nation gone under. Number three, on July the 4th, remember how God's people should respond. On July the 4th, tomorrow, remember how God's people should respond. You're going to see people respond on the news in all kinds of ways tomorrow. How should we as Christians respond? Well, number one, pray for our leaders. And you know I'm going to say that, but I'm going to say it anyway. <laughs> pray for our leaders. Pray like the psalmist prays in Psalm chapter 72. This is chapter 72, verse 1. He says, give the king your justice, O God, and your righteousness to the royal son. Praying for the king. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. Paul says to young Timothy, I urge then, first of all, that requests, prayers, intercession, thanks, and thanksgiving be made for everyone. Listen to what he says in verse 2. For kings and all those in authority that we may live peaceful and quiet lives and all godliness and holiness. Now the kings to which Paul was referring to were terrible, wicked men. There were no Christian kings in his lifetime. And yet he says this, pray for them anyway. So number one, pray for our leaders. Number two, submit to the government. I'm not telling you to agree with the government. I'm telling you to submit to the government. I'm telling you that because the Bible tells you that. Romans chapter 13, verse 1, Paul says to the church in Rome and to you and I, everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. He says, you, he doesn't say you have to agree with them. What he does say is you submit to them because God has allowed them to be our authority and authorities, and so we shouldn't submit to them. And I tell you that because I saw this week on the news. District attorneys in large cities standing up, in, including Austin, standing up and saying, we are not going to acknowledge the decision of the Supreme Court. We're not going to obey that. I'm not going to prosecute anybody because I don't like what the Supreme Court said. When we get to that, we are no longer a nation of laws. We're a nation of anarchy. We can just do whatever we want. We just take the laws we want, we'll obey those, and not the laws that we don't want. Of course, the, the very people who said that want us to obey other laws that they agree with, just not the laws that they don't agree with. 
But for you and for me, God's word tells us, I can't do anything about those pagan DAs, but for you and me, we should submit to our government. Number three, stand up for the godly. Stand up for the godly. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18 says it this way. Paul says, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. Listen to what he says. And with this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. The saints that he's talking about are fellow believers, fellow Christians. I told you I've been working this with this ministry uh, called Texas Values going into our government building, our Capitol building in Austin. I've gone down there a number of times in the last year, year and a half, and they have set up meetings with me and other pastors. And usually it's about three or four of us, myself, one more pastor and a representative from Texas Values. And we go in and we talk to those, we sit down with the Senator or with the Congressman or the Congresswoman, and we share with them we listen to their needs. We ask them about their family and how they're doing. And we ask them, how can we pray for you? And you know, most, not all, but most of the people who have allowed us to come into their office, most of the congressional members, most of the senators are born again believers. They don't all say this, but the general feeling that I get from many of them is this. They feel isolated. They feel that they're fighting this fight alone. I, I get that from office after office after office. They, they just feel very isolated. And when they ask for prayer, they want to know that there are believers throughout this nation and throughout this state that are lifting them up in prayer. So Paul says, always keep on praying for all the saints. Not just here, but globally, we should be praying for all the saints Nearly all human rights groups and Western government agencies that monitor the plight of Christians worldwide agree on this. Between 200 million and 230 million believers face daily threats of murder, beating, imprisonment, and torture, and a further 350 to 400 million encounter discrimination in, in areas such as jobs and housing. And a conservative estimate of the number of Christians, listen to this, who are killed for their faith each year is around 150,000. That means today, today, there will be thousands of Christians in our world that lose their life because of their faith in Jesus Christ. Will you pray for them in their last hours? Will you lift them up and their families, their loved ones, their church? Can we not pray for them? And lastly, I don't know how to tell you this. It's not going to be easy. Here's the challenge. I want you to pray for the worst people in America. Now, when I said that, somebody's picture came to your mind. Don't, don't blurb it out. <laughs> But probably somebody's picture came to your mind. Somebody came to your mind when I said the worst people in America, people that hate you and me, just because for our, of our values or our belief in Jesus Christ, we are hated in this nation. Pray for them. 
Jesus was preaching that famous Sermon on the Mount, and right in the middle of the sermon, he said something that none of them, I assure you, none of them had ever heard before in their life. Didn't make any kind of sense to them. It was shocking, I promise you. It was shocking. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 43, during the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said this, You have heard that it was said, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. Now notice, he says, you pray for them because of your identity. Because how you think about and pray for other people affects your relationship with your heavenly Father. And then he says, he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good, sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, or I might say it this way, if you only love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are, are not even the tax collectors doing that? That's the worst scumbags in the society. He says, are even the worst people in our society doing that? Verse 47, and if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? So if you and I go out this week and we go out tomorrow and we only love those who love us, how are we different from those awful people that came to your mind when I said that while ago? Because they do the same thing. Jesus said for his children, for believers in Christ, citizens of the kingdom of heaven, we are called to a different standard. God loved us even in the midst of our sin, had mercy on us, and he wants us to have the same mercy on other people. And where all the world says it's okay to hate this group or these people, we are not authorized to do that. On the contrary, Jesus said, love them, pray for them. So my challenge to you today is to do the very thing. Do you want true freedom this July 4th? Is freedom really important to you? Watch this brief clip. Freedom. It's something we cherish in this country. The idea of a free society is embedded into the very core of our nation. Many have died defending it and many have fought diligently to preserve it. So where has it gone? We've become a nation bound by division, chained by hatred, and consumed by selfishness. There's an epidemic of violence, poverty, brokenness. Does this look like freedom? The Bible tells us we're called to be free. But it also says to use that freedom to serve one another humbly, in love. Maybe that's what we're missing in America. Today, we celebrate Independence Day. Perhaps it's time we recognize that true independence is found only in a lasting dependence on God. For where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. Would you pray with me?
Father, as we come into your presence right now, you're listening to us, you're here. Your word tells us where two or more gathered in your name, there you will be also. We claim that promise right now. And we believe in the name of Jesus Christ and through his blood, you're here and listening. So we beseech you today, we ask and pray in the name of our Savior for this nation. We know the only reason we're here is because of you. And whatever is great about this country is great because of you. Past, present, and future. We know that it is your mercy that has sustained us. And your strength. We lift up this nation to you. And all of its sin, all of its imperfections, all of its problems and complexities, and all of its diversity, we lift it up to you. We ask and pray that this nation will be drawn back to you. We ask in the name of Jesus for a revival from California to New York, from Texas to North Dakota, and everywhere in between. We are a people who desperately need a savior. As you're praying, no one's looking around. Can I challenge you right now? Would you be willing to come up and get on your knees just for a few moments for your fellow Christian congressmen and congresswomen and senators and government officials who right now are believers in Christ and they feel isolated, they feel alone, would you be willing to lift them up in prayer right now? Would you be willing to come up and pray for those who hate you in this nation and hate us just because we're Christians? Would you be willing to do what Christ called us to do? Pray for those who hate you and persecute you and lift them up to God right now. Say, Lord, I lift them up to you. Would you be willing to pray for your brother and sister in Christ that will give their life this very day, some of them this very hour, are dying right now? Would you be willing to come up and pray for them and say, Lord, I lift them up to you. May your hand be upon them. May you be glorified through them. If you are willing to save them for your glory, then save them. If not, may you bring them in your kingdom and further your kingdom through them. May you be glorified through them. Grant them peace. Grant them joy, even in these difficult hours. Would you be willing to pray for them? Would you be willing to come up and kneel and pray for this nation and say, Lord, I don't know where we're going. But I pray that you would draw this nation close to you. No one's looking around. Would you stand? All heads are bowed. All eyes are closed. And as everyone would stand right now, would you be willing to come and pray? Pray for your fellow Christian. Pray for your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Pray for your congressmen and women. Pray for your fellow believers across the world who are being persecuted for their faith. Right now, as we pray, you come.